Because when the Satan comes in and he puts that temptation in your head, if there's enough of the Word of God in there to take that thought captive and put it into the obedience of the Word, you won't act on it. John said the Word of God abides in you. So Sister Antoinette mentioned the Love Life Ministry, and that is, we're really going to kick that off in October, okay? But this Saturday, this coming Saturday, there's going to be a prayer walk. I've mentioned that several times. I hope you'll come out and be a part of it. Uh, I, I would like to know if you're planning on that, if you could let me know either today or by email. Uh, I will be out of town, but Sister Rebecca and David will be here, and I know that they went to the initial training that we did with them. And if we have a group going, and some have mentioned this to me also, we can meet here at the church and ride over together. This week, myself, Brother Dan, Sister Rebecca, and Brother Michael attended the Pregnancy Support Center who helps ladies in crisis in Chapel Hill. We had a great lunch with them, reestablished that relationship with them. You know, it kind of got broken during COVID. COVID messed up everything, and then also they've had a change in leadership. So they're, they're reconnecting to the churches who've been supporters of them for many years, and we have. Pastor Don sat on the board. As I've mentioned before, the Roe v. Wade uh, case was just the beginning of, of the church's responsibility. It's not a time to sit back and celebrate a victory. It's time now to stand up as the church and say we mean what we say, and we're here now to help walk th through life with maybe a young lady and a young man because it's his first amends issue uh, that find themselves in a situation with a pregnancy that was not planned. So, but that's this Saturday is the prayer walk, and that's all it is, folks, is walking and praying is the heart of that. I thought I was losing my mind this morning. I walked out uh, to, get, to get my bottle of water, and I heard music playing. So I told Chip first, I said, Chip, I, I think your phone's playing music. And he's like, it's not my phone. And so I, I was in the restroom, and Bob Randall walks in. I said, Bob, it must be your phone. He said, I don't have my phone on. My phone's in the car. Well, it was my phone. So I got my phone silence. It's no longer playing music, and I don't, I'm not losing my mind. I did hear music. So uh, it's good to be before you this morning. Last week, uh, we, I brought the issue up of the title of the message was Let It Go. It was Let It Go. And we looked at how the Apostle Paul in the, in the book of Philippians said this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing on to the upward call of Christ. Here was the Apostle Paul, and he said, look, I've got to do one thing. I've got to forget my failures. Showed how he was a, a ruthless man, how he persecuted the church, how he killed people until he had an encounter with Christ. And he had to forget about those things, and certainly those things haunted him in his mind. But he also had a lot of successes. He could have bragged about a lot of things. He had to put those behind him as well. And, and later on in that scripture, he said, those who are, who are of that mind are mature. And I thought about that, and I thought to carry on that theme this morning, I thought for a few minutes this morning, we would look at what does it mean to be a mature follower of the Christ? What does it mean to be maturing in the Lord? What are ages of spiritual growth? And so if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, and the Scripture will be on the screen this morning, we'll be looking at 1 John again, 1 John 2, 12 through 17. A couple Sundays ago, I preached out of 1 John. I challenged you to read the book of 1 John. Our desire is that you read and study God's Word. You'll see why that's important as we go through this. But 1 John is the book of assurance. In the very last chapter, John says, These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. We don't have to be swimming around wondering, are we saved? Are we in the family of God? We can know those things. And in this particular case, John is writing to the churches at Ephesus. Now, that would be modern-day Turkey today. 
When John writes this, he's old. He is the only surviving original disciple of Jesus. He was one of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John were the closest to Jesus. He has already been on the Isle of Patmos for his faith and persecuted, but now he's, he's back. He's in Turkey or Ephesus today, and he's writing letters to the churches of that area. One of the commentators I said that said that John would have been an authoritative voice that was sought out. And I was like, do you think? I mean, here he is. He is one of Jesus' disciples. I think that if I'm pastoring a church and I know John is still alive, I want to hear from John. And that's what these letters for. And guess what, church? We get to hear from John today just as much as they heard from John then. That's why they were written. And so he writes this. And there's different stages, and we'll look at these different stages. And uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read the text, but if you, have, have, if you want to follow along with me on the screen. John says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. And then he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. God, I thank you for your presence that's already been in this church. I thank you that through worship you prepare our hearts to receive your word. And I, prepare God, I ask God that as I've prepared this, Lord, that you speak through me. And God, that what you want this congregation to hear, that I will deliver. And that they will receive it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So John's got three groups there. He's got little children, he's got young men, and he's got fathers. Now, the Bible speaks in masculine terms. So where you hear young men and where you hear fathers, you can also add mothers in that. How I many you know, thank God for our women. Thank God for mature women, for strong women. Hey, when, when, when the disciples had run away like a, bunch of, like a bunch of scared pansies, who was left at the cross? The women. Who went to the tomb? The women. So thank God for strong women women. But the Bible speaks in, in masculine terms. Now, when he uses little children, when he uses young men, when he uses fathers, he's not talking about ages. He's talking about spiritual age. And unfortunately, I think the condition of the Western American, Western church too much is most people are still little children. They never seem to grow up. And the scriptures tell us over and over to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That when we become saved, that's just a starting point. But there's some things that we have to do, we have to commit ourselves to. We have to understand that we're in spiritual warfare and a spiritual battle and be ready to fight. But many times people don't do that. They get stuck as little children, and we'll see that as we go through. Now, however, there is instances where age, I think, does matter. And what I have done, and listen, this was not scientific. This was my own meditations as I, as I meditated and prayed over this outline. You will see next to each group, you will see a number. For little children, I've got 4 to 15. For young men, I have 15 to 50, and fathers, I have 50 plus. 
if I had to put an age range on this, that's what I would put. And, and age has nothing to do with spiritual growth with exception, one exception, I think. You may disagree, and you may disagree with these ages. That's fine. Like I said, it's not scientific. But you'll see that as we go through the text. So let's take a look at the first group that John refers to, and that is the group of little children. John addresses each group twice. Now, in this case of the little children, however, he uses a different Greek word. So he's referring to two different groups when he refers to little children. The first Greek word is born ones. So when he's referring to little children the first time, he is referring to those who have been born again. That's all of us who have put our faith in Christ. That's all of us. And every group there, from the little children to the young men to the fathers, could fall into this group of the born ones. But when he uses it the second time, which is what we'll be dealing with this morning, he uses a Greek word that refers to someone who's under instruction. And when people are saved, when they first come to the Lord, when they first put their trust in Him, they should come under instruction. They become disciples of the Lord first, but also, hopefully, of someone within the church. Don't know that we do a great job discipling in the, in the Western American church, but I, I sometimes think the church is blamed for that too much when it takes two to disciple. A person has to be willing disciple to be discipled. A person has to say, hey, now I need to be into the church. I need to connect with someone who's a mature believer. I need to set on a road. There's some things I need to do. I need to disconnect some old relationships. I need to disconnect some old habits. That's a process. But it's as much more or maybe more dependent on them as it is on the church. But the church gets blamed for it. But you're under instruction. And, there, and John gives a couple he says a couple things about this group. First, I want to say they are, they are new or immature Christians. They're new or immature Christians is what little children would be in this case. He notes that their sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Make no doubt about it, church, when, when, when God moves in our heart, when we feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and we come to know Him, it's not to make us look good. It is to, for our salvation, but it is now... I think we forget that what God, God is pulling at us to know us because He wants to glorify Himself through us. And when He calls you and He draws you, He has something for you. He has a plan for you to help advance His kingdom for His glory. The psalmist said, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. For your name's sake. The psalmist said, also said, Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. David said he leads us in the paths of righteousness for what? So I look good? So Larry look good? So Larry look good and righteous? Mm -mm. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When he cleans you up and you're a different person and somebody comes to you and says, why are you a different person? And you say, I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. You just glorified him. That's why he changes us. Everything is about the glory of the Lord. But he also said this of the little children. You know the Father. The characteristic of a new believer, and unfortunately oftentimes as an, of, of an immature believer, is they know their sins have been forgiven. They know that. I've heard testimony, I'm sure you've heard testimony, of people who have come in, been convicted, fell into the power of the Holy Spirit, repented of their sin, and when they got up they said, man, something happened. I felt that, that something changed in my life. They know that. 
But that's about it. So if you went up to them and say, hey, man, I just heard you experienced the doctrine of justification, they'd go, what? They don't know anything about those things. Or sanctification or glorification or the baptism of the Holy Ghost or being baptized or the importance of taking communion, why we give, the importance of giving. They don't know anything about that. They're new. They're new. They don't come with that knowledge. And particularly today, because so many people out in our culture today are unchurched. So if they come in, they don't know anything about all this stuff. What do you think would happen to a newborn baby if you just took and set them down and said, fend for yourself? They wouldn't make it. And we take new Christians and we set them out there and say, fend for yourself. They're not going to make it. And many of them don't. But oftentimes that's because they have decided they're not willing to dig into this thing. They have some responsibility in this. And once again, I think too many times the church gets blamed for it. In many of the scriptures, particularly in Paul's writings and in the writer of Hebrews, there are some characteristics, particularly of immature Christians. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 5. Now Paul is writing to here, and he's writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth could be much like the, the church of America. It had a lot of problems. There was a lot of sexual sin. They were suing one another. There was all kinds of sin issues in that church. And that's why Paul wrote this letter to the church. And this is what he said. He said to them in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 5. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal. As to babes in Christ. There's that word, babes. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal? Are you not behaving like mere men? For one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. And then the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 5 and 12 said this. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. And then just a few scriptures down in Hebrews, he says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So let's just look at a few of the characteristics of immature Christians. One, they're carnal. That's just a, a, another word for that that we would understand. They're fleshly. They're still more controlled by their flesh than they are controlled by the Spirit. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. But what does that mean to walk into the Spirit? We'll take a look at a few of those things as we go through. And so flesh, the flesh is something that we will struggle with. Even, even the mature still struggle in the flesh. I got news for you, young people, young men. I wish I could tell you, and it gets easier as you get older and your body gets older and it changes for physical reasons. It gets easier, but it's still there. And so you better learn how to strengthen yourself. You better learn how to, the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You better learn to submit to God. And you better get used to this because you're in this for the long haul. 
I have a friend, a good friend that's a little bit older than me, and he does a, uh, he did before COVID, but he did a Bible study at a rest home. And uh, he loved those people, and they loved him, and he, he had a pretty close knit of friends in there. And, and you can imagine a rest home, 60, 70, 80, 90. And they would talk about things. Man, we need men that we can talk to. I'm going to tell you, ladies, you need ladies you can talk to. But he would talk to those men, and he asked those guys one time, he said, let me ask you something, guys. At what age do you know, do you quit? Does, does you, do you not have to worry about, you know, the, the temptation with the opposite sex? And you don't even ha- that don't even happen anymore. And these men, 70, 80, 90, they looked at my friend, they said, when we get there, we'll tell you. So if that tells you anything, you better know how to build yourself up in the spirit. Okay? You better be in it for the fight. Because Satan's not going to be done with you till you enter the gates of heaven and then it's over. But they're carnal. They're fleshly. I just, I don't know how many of you saw most recently, and look, this is not, a, this is not just a hit on this denom- denomination. It just happens to be the one that's most recent in the news. Every denomination has had its issues. But the most recent was the Southern Baptist Convention scandal. I don't, have you seen, how many have seen that? Man, it, it rivaled what was going on in the Catholic Church. I saw the report, 88 pages. Now, they got very transparent. And what they did, they went through and they listed the name of every single pastor or, or male, and it was all men, male leaders who had been involved in some type of sexual harassment and sometimes sexual assault. 88 pages. And they were all over the country. And some of them had been presidents. And it was kept secret. People knew about it. It was kept secret. And what they did in those 88 pages, they told their name, what church they pastored, the positions they had held in the SBC, and it was shocking. But it happens. It happens. The church can get fleshly. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's only a characteristic of immature Christians, but it often is. They, they never can get past the struggle with the flesh. The Bible says, put away those sins that so easily beset you. They just keep getting drugged down by the same old things. Envy. Jealousy. Do you think there's any jealousy in the church? Jealousy over ministries, jealousy over this, jealousy over that. Strife. What I had besides strife is fussing. People come in and they're fussing. They're fussing about something that don't matter in the light of eternity. And then divisions. Martin Luther said he could have never imagined the number of denominations that we have today. The church is divided. It's divided racially. It's divided economically. It's divided uh, doctrinally. It's divided politically on everything we can think of. But I'm going to tell you, when we get into heaven and the Bible says that every tribe, nation, and tongue will be there, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be divided there. We won't be divided there. And so if you've got an issue with someone because of their race or their economic class or something else, you better deal with it now because you're going to spend eternity with that person. Immature. Immature. The writer of Hebrews said, there's some people, they come in, they're in the church, they come into the faith, and if you've been in this thing for a while and they've been in faith, you ought to be help teaching the next generation. You ought to be progressing through the stages, but we can't get them past the elementary teachings. Why? Because they keep getting sucked back into the world. We've had this conversation, and I, I think I can speak for 
Pastor Don and Sister Carol, it's heartbreaking to see a young person come into the church, get sucked out in the world, then life is wrecked. We've seen it. Then they come back in, 30s and 40s, and hoping that the church will help clean up the mess they spent 20 or 30 years making. When we say, you should have stayed in this thing. And if you're a new Christian and you're just getting started in this, stay in this thing. There's people here who will help you that will pray with you. But you have your part to play in it. You have to stay in it. And un un unlike what some people will tell you, some preachers will tell you, a walk with the Lord is not an easy walk. There's, Billy Graham is quoted as saying, sometimes all I can say with tears in my eyes is, God forgive me and God help me. That's Billy Graham. So if Billy Graham can say that, Larry Smith can say that, and I've said that before. But what I can tell you is I've walked with him long enough to know, and I'm going to get to this a little bit later, to know he's faithful. And to know the song we say, no, where could I go but to the Lord? And once you experience it, you'll never turn back. Characteristics of immature Christians. And then there's young men. I've got here uh, ages 15 to 50. 15 to 50 is what I have as, as young men. Their characteristics, um, they're growing. They're the ones who've just started on the walk with the Lord. They're committed to it, and they're starting to grow. They're starting to grow. And John says of them twice, he says, you have overcome the evil one. You've overcome the evil one. A couple comments here. First, and these are my thoughts, but I think they're accurate. Spiritual warfare is greatest at this stage and at this age. Now, it would make sense because this is the bulk of, the, of your life. This is, this is where you make some decisions that will impact the rest of your life. Where are you going to go to school? After you, after you get out some of these, your parents, young people, where am I going to go to school? Am I going to run with the world or am I going to stay with what the church has taught me? What kind of decisions am I going to make? When I get married, who am I going to marry? Is that going to be influenced by the Scriptures and by the people of God? I hope so. What kind of financial decisions am I going to make? How am I going to manage my money? How am I going to raise my kids? What kind of husband am I going to be? What kind of wife am I going to be? All those things happen in this stage. And every single bit of it, at times, talk to some mature people as we can. They will tell you there's spiritual warfare in every single bit of it. So once again, if you think that, that, that you're going to get a rose garden, ah, you're mistaken. But you're not going to walk about miserable either. Because when you experience the joy of the Lord and the peace that passes understanding, there's nothing like it. But these are, that's that age group just starting out. And at different stages, there's a lot of different stages of spiritual growth from someone 15 to 50. And it's not to say that it goes like this. I wish it did. But it goes up. Our spiritual walk goes up one year and comes down, up and down. Different things affect it. What the season of life we might be in. Lots of things affect our spiritual growth. But the general trajectory of our spiritual growth should be up. I should be able to look back 10 years ago and say, I'm closer to the Lord. I know more about Him, more about His Word, and experienced Him more than I did 10 or 15 years ago. You have overcome the spiritual forces that seek to destroy. You are overcoming the spiritual forces that seek to destroy you. That is a maturing Christian. Another characteristic that John said about them, he said they were strong. 
Now I must admit, I'm 56 years old. I know I don't look it. <laughs> no, I do. We have a yearbook, old yearbook, Nate, back in 1993 at a police department. And I take that thing out and I look at myself in there and I look like a baby. I'm like, that guy ain't even old enough. And I see these, some of these young recruits, that guy ain't even old enough to carry a gun. And I look in the mirror and I realize I'm 56 years old, right? Right, John? But one thing, I don't know, John was old, and I don't know, he, maybe he had visited a church, but it makes me wonder, did John look out there and see a young man and see a... There's nothing like to me as a, as a man to see a strong young man. It's just, I, I'm envious, I must admit. I remember the days when my body was working for me and not against me. I could go out when I was in my 30s still and practice with the high school team and wrestle. I, go, I went out there and did that about 45. It took me two weeks to get over that. It liked to kill me, and I've not done it since. I'll go out and tell them what to do, but I can't do it no more. Honestly, it took me two weeks to get over it. And so, but I don't think that's really what John was talking about, maybe. But I think what he was talking about is these were people who were strong in the Lord. I think he saw some Joshua's. Some guys who stood on a riverbank like Joshua did, and he looked at a bunch of people who were tired of it, just wanted to go back to Egypt where they had it good. And he said, I'll tell y'all what. And it's the man who stands up with his family and says, I tell you what, I know what everybody out there says is right and wrong. I know what they're doing. I understand that. I get it. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to stay in it. Even when it's hard. Even when we don't understand. We're going to stay in it. And those are strong, strong young men and young women. And there's some in this church. <clears throat> but how do you get there? Here's the characteristic that John gave. He said, the word of God abides in you. That means it lives in you. You just don't have a head knowledge of the word of God. You have a heart knowledge of the word of God. It's gotten from your eyes to your brain and to your heart. And it lives there. The psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? He guards his heart in God's Word. The same psalmist in 119 says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because when the Satan comes in and he puts that temptation in your head, if there's enough of the Word of God in there to take that thought captive and put it into the obedience of the Word, you won't act on it. You'll think about it. But when the Holy Spirit becomes to come in and that Word comes to your head and it's in your heart, it's like, I can't go there. I need, to get, I need to get out of this situation or forget about this. John said the Word of God abides in you. We've been talking recently about we're a Pentecostal church. We don't hide from that. We would like to see people baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? So we can act crazy and run around and do crazy stuff? No. Because you're going to need some dunamis power. You're going to need some dunamis power. That was the power Jesus said they would receive when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I pulled our, our beliefs. This is why. This is in our statement of faith and beliefs what we say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's given to believers who ask. It's often an experience subsequent with salvation. It's received by faith. And the scriptural manifestation is normally tongues. But here's what I want you to know. With the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes such an experience as an overflowing fullness of the Spirit, a deepened reverence for God, an intensified consecration to God and dedication to His work, 
a more active love for Christ, for His Word, and for the lost. That's what it's about. And that's what it will give you. But you have to be hungry. You have to want it. You have to want to grow. And I think people, when they get into this area of growing as young men and young women, hungry for God is when they can receive that. Is when they can receive that. The Word of God abides in you. But look, that's my story. Too many today are in their 50s or older, 30s or older, but they're still immature. I was raised in church. I went to a Christian college. In my 20s, the things of the world were more important than the things of God. I was good. Don't get me wrong. I was a good in, in the eyes of In the eyes of the world, I was a good person. I was, had a good job. I was a good husband. I was a good father, those things. But God was dealing with me because it wasn't where he wanted me to be spiritually. And in my early 30s, through a series of events in God's hand that I can see there, I landed here. And I was sitting about where my Aunt Pat is sitting right there. And we had a drama team in this church at that time. And they were doing a drama. And that drama kind of centered around people, Christians, who identify as Christians, who don't know God's word. And that drama, I looked at that and I said, hey, that's you. That's you. I mean, I knew about God's word. I knew the, you know, I knew the Sunday school stories that everybody learns. But I didn't know the deeper things of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that Sunday, I said, today, this changes I went and got me a good study Bible, and I started reading and studying God's Word, getting in the depth of God's Word, and I can tell you it changed my life. And then receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it changed my life. It made me a stronger believer. And it will you too, but you have a part to play in it. Young men and then fathers. I got 50 plus here. These are mature Christians. They're still maturing. They're not perfect. We still see a lot of the fathers and mothers in the faith fall. But they're mature. They have, here's, what, here's what I have written. They have mastered the fundamentals of spiritual life. They have a personal devotion time. They have personal communion time with God outside of just on Sunday. They work in the kingdom. They give into the kingdom. And they've been doing it for many years. They have a deep communion with the Father. And for those of you who are there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're out there going, I wish I could have that. You can, but it takes some time. This is where age matters. This is where age matters. Because this church, this comes experientially. This comes from walking with the Lord day after day. This comes walking through with the Lord when life is good, when you're experiencing life, when things are going well, and you're trusting in God. This comes when things are not going well, when there's sorrow, when there's bad news, when you look at your circumstances. I don't say, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but you stay and you continue to walk with the Lord. Your hair gets gray, you get some wrinkles on your face, but you know that you can trust God. Those are the mature. Those are the mature. John said of them twice, you've known him who is from the beginning. They knew him when they first came to him as an immature believer. They walked the walk 
and they've known him from the beginning. It is a mark, it is a way to maturity, and it is a mark of maturity. Knowing God from the beginning and knowing him now, although on a deeper level. It's not unlike a marriage. Tammy and I have been married, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's been 30-some years, I know that. We've been together a long time. And when we first got married, it would have been more of what would be our society would know as an eros love. It's where we get our word erotica. It's a passionate love. You're young, you know, she's beautiful, I look okay, I'm, you know, whatever. But as now, our love is different. In the Greek, it would be more known as the phileo love, a deep, intimate love. What, did it just come through years? No, it did. But what it come through is that we've laughed together. We've cried together. We've buried our parents together. We've stood out in a waiting room while the other one's in an operating room wondering what's going on in there. We've experienced the ups and downs and the joys of life. Our, our relationship is different. And it's no different in our relationship with God. And it comes through time and it comes through experience. A few characteristics. A few characteristics. Before I do that, though, I, there's a scripture. And I said it comes from not just knowing God's word, but experiencing God's word. One of my favorite scriptures, many people know it. And the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, doesn't it? But in prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, I just rolled off my lips, and it's a great, and I can teach that to a little 10 year old, and we should. But my friends, a 10 year old is never going to understand that. Like someone who, Sister Carol, had gotten a call and said, Your son's just had an aneurysm. Brother Denny, when they say, We don't need you at this job anymore. Brother Tony, when they can't even call you and say, your son's just been in a bad accident. And you go out there and you experience this scripture. It's not just something you can quote. You stand out there wondering, what's going to happen here? And the peace of God becomes to get in and guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. And there's peace there. And you know, whatever happens, it's going to be okay. And I'm going to trust Him. That's the mark of beginning to mature. That's the difference between being able to quote that scripture and having experienced that scripture. Very different. And it takes time. Some of the characteristics. Paul writing to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 13 through 15. He said, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. So we're going to get there. We won't get complete perfection until we're in heaven. But we're growing. We're growing in unity of faith. We're growing in the knowledge of God, working towards being a perfect man and woman. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking truth and love may grow up in all things into the head who is Christ. And then once again, the writer of Hebrews said, but solid food in Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
What are some of the characteristics of those who are mature in Christ? One, they can discern good from evil. One of the gifts of the Spirit is discerning of spirits. You better be able to discern good from evil in the culture we're in today. Because we are in the world where people, we are now where people say good is evil and evil is good. You better be able to discern it. They are firm in what they believe and in sound doctrine. Folks, I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. I know in whom I believe. And it is unshakable. I've heard someone say, if I can talk you into it, you, someone else can talk you out of it. I won't talked into it. I experienced it. I've grown in it. I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. And no one can change it. No circumstance can change it. The Satan cannot take it from me. The world can't tell me I'm wrong. They can call me all kinds of names they want to. I know what I believe and I know why I believe it. Sound doctrine. They're not, <clears throat> they're not swayed by charisma. It amazes me. You know, we got a lot of flashy rock star preachers and evangelists and healers. It amazes me the people who run down to these things all the time. The charisma. It sways them. It sways them. Everybody seems to want a rock star preacher. You know, we got multiple campuses and the preacher's piped in and all that stuff. Okay, as long as the doctrine's good, I guess that's okay. But I would rather have an intimate group of people that I can grow together with. I'm not going to be swayed by that. Now, a lot of those people grew up in those churches, and that's fine. But a lot of people leave because I want to have this big, you know, hip church. Speak the truth in love. You know what you believe. You're willing to speak it to people, but you speak it in the right tone. Pastor Don has said before, sometimes people talk to someone about hell, and they say it as if they want them to go there. I mean, I get that, but we have to be able to stand on our truth. But don't get sucked into the anger of the culture about it. And that's hard to do. Real hard. <clears throat> and it comes from putting God's Word and the relationship with the Lord into practice day after day, week after week, year after year. This is where age matters. This is where it does matter. I'm going to tell you, I don't think a 15-year-old can be a father or a mother. I'm not sure that anyone could be a father or mother younger than 45. You can disagree. That's fine. I know some people have had some terrible things to deal with young. So there's exceptions to everything. But becoming a mature mother and father in the faith takes time. It takes experience. How many of you in here that are maybe 50 plus been walking with the Lord a long time? Most of you are not shy, so you, you, I think you'll play along with me. You would raise your hand and say, my approach to things. You ain't compromised one thing on what you believe and why you believe it. But your approach to certain things have changed over the years. Anybody ever raise their hand? You young people can look all over here. We all have. Life has a way of softening your dogma. It does. Not compromising the truth, but it can soften your dogma. As I thought about these two groups, the young men, particularly the strong, very mature young men and women, and the mature men and women, what come to my mind is the concept that Isaiah said of the watchman on the wall. Every church needs its watchman on the wall. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in 62.6 said, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent. 
Those are the people in the church. They want to see the next generation of the church come through. If the music changes, that's okay. If the lights get a little dark and the smoke machines come out, I guess that's okay too. As long as we stay true to the Word of God. Styles may change. Tactics may change. But we're never going to compromise with the truth of God's Word. The what you need, the watchman on the wall. You need those younger, more mature people. You need those whitehead, wrinkle-faced people who've experienced this and know what it is to walk with the Lord in good times and bad times. You need that. You've got to have that. They're the watchmen on the wall. I have a picture I want to show you. Don't put it, don't put it up yet, babe. A couple years ago, we, were, we, we go to a, our conference every year. Every other year, we like to go to the conference. This past year, it was in Chicago. The year before, it was in Scottsdale, Arizona. And at each conference, they, they load up pictures of people that were at the conference. It's typically fellowship and those things. And when I saw this picture last year, it just it stuck with my spirit. I screenshotted it on my phone back then. And as I was going through this message, to me, it's just a great illustration of what I'm trying to say here. And Tam, if you'll put that picture up. I screenshotted that picture on my phone about a year ago. And that was a ladies' luncheon. Tammy attended it. Obviously, I didn't. And uh, I saw that picture. And you wouldn't know, maybe Sister Carol would know, but that's, that's June Evans' hand. And June Evans is a mother in the faith. She's been a preacher's wife. She's been living, serving the Lord year after year after year. You can learn something from sitting down and talking to someone like June Evans or Brother Dan or Sister Carol or Sister Judy. People who've walked this thing a long time. And I don't know what was happening here. All I know is I see a hand that clearly has some age on it. And in that hand, I see a lot of joy and peace, tears, laughter, the good times, the bad times, all those things right there is what I see. I see a mother in the faith. And I see a little girl, probably a little child, maybe a young lady, who has yet to face life and all of its challenges and everything that's going to come with it. And I see the maturity of that hand on her, passing on to her that you too can trust God. That if you... If you will put your trust in God, if you will grow up in Him, if you will seek for the deeper things of God, you will be where I am one day. And it's not all going to be a good story. There's going to be some heartache in it. There's going to be some tough times in it. There's going to be some times I didn't. I don't know why this happened. Lord, I don't know why I'm going through this. Why my family went through this. Why am I sick? Why have I lost my job? All these things. But she'll also tell you about the peace of God that guarded her heart through every bit of it. And this young lady and you as young people or maybe immature in the Lord, you can experience that as well. But John goes on and he, he finishes with the groups, the little children, the young men, and the fathers. But he also gives a caution about the things of the world because they're always pulling at us. They're going to pull at us at every stage of our walk with the Lord. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. He gives a couple things here. He says, when he talks about the world, when John talks about the world, he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. He's not talking about the planet. He's not talking about people. 
What he's talking about here, Dr. Merrill Unger made note of the fact that in more than 30 important passages, the Greek word cosmos, which is what's used here, is employed in the New Testament to portray the whole mass of unregenerate men, alienated from God, hostile to Christ, and organized governmentally as a system or federation under Satan. That's what, that's what John is talking about here. He says, don't love the world or the world's system, which includes the lust of the flesh. What is that? Well, Galatians, the book of Galatians tells us pretty, gives us a clear example of some of those things. As a matter of fact, it says the works of the flesh are evident in, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And I'm not going to read all these. I'm just going to point out a few. And you tell me if you think this is evident in our culture today. Adultery, fornication, lewdness. Sorcery, you know what sorcery is? The Greek word sorcery is pharmakia. Drug use. Is drug use prevalent in our culture today? For everything. Outbursts of wrath. You can't watch the news now where people aren't angry at everything. Selfish ambitions, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And that's just a smattering. Those are, those are the things that are going to pull, those are the things that look like fun. John says, don't love them. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. That's the external desire. That's where it all starts. That's where it started for Eve. She saw that the apple was good. It starts there. And then the pride of life. What do we, what do we, what's the pride of life here? Power. People want power. People get drunk on power. Wealth and beauty. Those are the three things I think that our culture is, is drunk on. Man, I want money, I want power, and beauty. And John says these things are passing away. Let me ask you this morning, where do you stand here? If you did a self-evaluation this morning, where would you say you are? You were a little child? And once again, that has nothing. You can be a little child spiritually at any age. And that, unfortunately, I think that is the characteristic most oftentimes of the, of the Western church and the American church. People just don't grow up. And they're constantly beaten to death by Satan. They can't get past certain things. They never grow. Are you a young man or a young woman? Do you know that you're on the path of maturity in the Lord? Are you connected into this body? Are you connected into someone? When you need advice about something, who do you go see? It amazes me, to the, the people who identify as, as Christians, and you find out they go seek counsel from everybody but a Christian. And then when it don't turn out well, they wonder why. Maybe you should have started in the house of God. Maybe you should have gotten some good, godly, biblical counsel before you went and gotten the worldly counsel. But are you, are you, where are you? And are you a father or mother? You know what it is to walk with the Lord day after day. You've been in this thing, and you know good and well, I know too much. I've experienced too much. He's been too good to me. He's been faithful to me, and I'm never turning back. It takes time to get there. It takes time to get there. What I want to do this morning, because what you can say when you become a young man or a young woman, maybe about the transition into that father or mother characteristic what you can say without a doubt is all my life he has been faithful all my life he has been so so good with every breath that I am able 
I will sing of the goodness of God. We're going to play that song and the words are going to be on it. What I want to do, I want, I, if you're here this morning and you're under 50, and we're mostly o- o- over 50, some of our youth are down in Goldsboro for an event down there this morning. But if you're there here this morning, young man, young lady, you're under 50, I just want you to come up to the altar first. So if you'll all stand with me, and I want all our young people, if you're under 50 this morning, I'm not making any judgments about people's spiritual condition. Because what this also says, what John is also saying here is that generational, generations matter in a church. They matter in a church. Your praise team, you guys can come on up. They do. It's important to have young people in a church. It's important to have middle-aged people in a church. It's important to have older people in a church. And we can all learn from each other. But I want to ask everyone else here, if you're under 50, if you're under 50, you can come stand in front. If you don't come down and stand right here in the front. You can start the, start the song, Tammy. And then I want everybody else just to kind of, you guys come on up a little bit closer. I want everyone else just to kind of gather behind them. And we're just going to sing this song. And I, for those of you who gather behind them, guys, I want you to come and just lay your hands on some of these men, lay your hands on some of these ladies. And let's pray. The people who are up front, if there's something God's dealing with you on, you know there's something. I want to get to the next level. You know the fight. You're in the fight. Pray. And I want you all older. Don't be bashful. Come on up. Put your hands on them. We believe in the laying on hands. Don't be scared. Just like Miss June won't afraid. We're not afraid to put our hands on each other. And let's, let's sing this song and let's worship. And for those of you who've experienced God's goodness, for those of you who've walked on that wall, for those of you who know what it's about, let's sing of the goodness of God. Oh. 